This is Invaluable, Achieving Clarity on Value. We are getting into the final chapter of the book, Chapter 9, The Infinity. As always, I'm going to read the little poetry at the beginning of the book. It says, What makes distinctions a valid representation of I? They asked. Little did they fathom that I am the source of validity. I liked uh, how this chapter begins because it really coincides with the opening um, on the next page where it talks about um, the story of the Garden of Eden. And the reason it talks about the story of the Garden of Eden is because it really gets into the concept of knowledge. Um, You say on 280, I would like to think that the biblical ancients were terrific philosophers who were trying to tell humanity that knowledge is fundamentally problematic. Knowledge is based on distinctions. And distinctions divide a reality which itself knows no distinctions. Therefore, when one becomes knowledgeable, one is really seeing separation from a unifying reality. Remember the pot metaphor from the preface? We had written... When you call a mound of clay a pot, you are making a distinction in a mass of undifferentiated clay and labeling a particular shape a pot. You are also reducing all other experiences in the universe to not pots. I would love to uh, hear from you why you decided to open the chapter uh, with this, um, you know, especially talking about the knowledge. Um, was there a, almost like addressing the, like, oh, okay, so now that you've done all the work, uh, if you followed this book to a T, if you've really done the exercises, if you've really done the reflection, now you have all this knowledge, kind of like, what do you do with it? Mm. Well, it's, it's a, that's a good question, actually. It's, that's an interesting angle. Maybe that was a subconscious angle. I do not know. My more explicit angle was it's about validity. So if you if you look at the previous chapter, we uh, we talked a lot about normative and and descriptive sciences last time, and the methodology that we've followed so far has been to listen deeply to ourselves and discover what we stand for. But then once you have done that discovery, we are saying, or we are claiming that our declaration of value is our normative value foundation. These are our norms. We are going to create our reality based on this foundation. So what makes it valid, right? And, And that validity question, we are not the first to ask it. People, our ancestors from every culture have asked this question. And what I have found is there is a remarkable thread of unity in the diversity of cultures that exist on this planet. And that unity is what I wanted to end with. That look, wherever I look, I find this question being asked. And I find people finding profound answers that are, that are, uncannily similar, even though there are such different traditions. So, so this was, uh, this was also in a sense, you know, this book has been written many times, actually. And this is the the fifth attempt that I've made and the final one. In previous attempts, this used to be the beginning of the book. And I realized that this is heavy stuff. And, uh, and, and, and religion is something that you have to you have to really look at it with a with a very particular lens otherwise it's it's very hard to deal with it as a topic so so this kind of was a nice way to close it off we've done the heavy lifting we've formed the lens that we wanted to have and now with that lens we're going to turn our gaze to what religious philosophy has offered us um, I, you know, broadly speaking, I feel like we've looked at some of the Eastern traditions throughout the book because that's where I have found my foundation. But that does not mean that there aren't gems in 
non-Eastern philosophies, and, and particularly like if you look at the Judeo-Christian world, they, they trace themselves to the book. And and so I thought, okay, this is a really good way to end it. You know, and we, we kind of we began it with a philosopher from Pakistan, and now we're going to end it with philosophers, the biblical scholars. And, and throughout, like it's not, the beauty of this whole thing is, it's you see the same echoes right whether it's eastern or western philosophy they they have they've drunk from the same well and and that's a very inspiring way to end that hey we're not alone in this dialogue this is the most important dialogue there is of validity and and how do you know what you know and 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 the basic answer seems to be <laughs> only you can know so so enjoying that answer in 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 as spectacular a way as possible. I really, I really like that you you mentioned that um, because usually when people do um, a lot of work on themselves, or if you think of like say like a self help genre, uh, it usually focuses on the self. It d- doesn't really focus so much on like building that community. Um, you know, like for example, when you're talking about um, that that example when the the school. Um, that you were involved with um, wanted you to participate. Uh, and, and it wasn't so much about how much money you gave, but the fact that you participated. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, th- there's not really many examples of like of that in um, a lot of books that, that focus on someone helping themselves um, and doing the work on themselves. Uh, on page 282, uh, <clears throat> it says, The worshipers of ignorance enter a blind darkness, into an even greater darkness enter those who pursue knowledge alone. So it's like, so it's, it's, it's almost to me. And I don't know if this is your intention. It almost comes off as a little bit of a warning as well. It's like, you know, this is, yes, you did very important work, but you have to remember that you are not alone in this and you need to find uh, other people that are also trying to do the work, come together and you could create beautiful things together. Um, going back to um, even the the factory um, of the plastics example, you know how you know they you had multiple people coming together and creating something beautiful, and and you want to keep thinking about that. And um, I you know to some degree, the, you know that's where um, legacy comes in. That's where uh, you know kind of like going on forever and stuff like that. Like what are the, what are the things that you're going to leave behind? Um, and so, you know, the next section kind of gets into infinity. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about um, that infinity because we started the book, bu- the book, um, you know, with zero, with circles, with, you know, but now we're really getting into the infinity. And so I'd like for you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so the so the setting this transition up is very important because, you know, if you, if you look at that that uh, couplet that you just quoted, right, the the um, the worshippers of ignorance enter a blind darkness, and even great in darkness enter those who perceive knowledge alone. This is one of the most mysterious verses of the Isha Upanishad, and I have seen many a teacher, great teachers at that. Who will look at this and say, "Oh, this is one of those that I didn't don't quite know how to explain." <laughs> so, what are they talking about? Because everywhere else, knowledge is extolled. Like, oh yeah, knowledge is important. The whole point is to know and have a deeper knowing. And here, they're saying that knowledge itself is foundationally problematic, right? So, so what does that mean? And and I really liked your opening question. Now that I reflect some more on it that yes we we know ourselves and that knowing is a limitation and that limitation in in one perspective i mean this perspective of the of the bible and the isha upanishad they're both saying be very careful of it and then there's the rebellion of tagore and tagore is saying there's no point of having an existence if you cannot experience who you are, and you can only experience who you are, if the the limitless is is 
is contained in limitation and has the opportunity to break out of it. So, so this is a very beautiful thought that meaning comes from difference. If everything is the same, then there is nothing to experience. Experience comes when there is something and there's something that's not. And that difference is, is what tells you, oh, there's change. That change is, is, is what drives our experience. And, and, and this is saying that there is a holistic beauty to having the tree of life and the tree of knowledge in the same garden, right? It's not just one tree. You need the two together to make the garden happen. Otherwise, it's just one tree. Right, I, I love that metaphor. You know, that metaphor, you know, we have we use the tree metaphor, the garden metaphor, very deeply in this book, and so it's only, only befitting that we come back to that garden metaphor again. So, so I feel that when you when you think about this, we need to 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 go back to that concept of mathematics that. We started with a zero, something that's complete, no beginning, no end, to, to represent the feelings of wholeness. And now when we are coming back to the end, it's like, okay, what, what is the corresponding mathematical distinction that represents who we truly are, right? And it turns out that 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 symbol, that mathematics, is really the mathematics of of infinity. It's it's been there for as long as we can remember. <laughs> Our philosophy philosophers have have come to that conclusion. So it's a and, and it's kind of interesting. Like when you make it abstract, it becomes hard to reach. So these intermediate examples really make it clear. So for instance. The example of Christopher Alexander. Uh, Christopher Alexander is a big inspiration of mine because I have a software engineering background, and software people know it through the work of design patterns. It's a it's a body of uh, work that captures wisdom in software architecture, and this work kickstarted out of the philosophical work that Christopher Alexander did as a brick and mortar architect and and there he he really thought hard about how people built buildings and he looked at those buildings that inspire you to do amazing work and those buildings that, that are just dead and and he brought out this concept of aliveness and it's it's remarkable because think about it aliveness of a building right buildings are inanimate and yet there is something about them that capture a sense of aliveness. So, so he thought deeply about it, and he, and, he, and, he, and he says in the timeless way of building that we can build in a way that the receivers of our work, uh, you know, he, he doesn't use these words, these are my, this is my paraphrasing, that receivers of our work receive our aliveness and are inspired to be alive. And so, how do you build whatever it is that you do how do you build something that captures something truly timeless and, and what do we even mean by timeless right we, we spent chapter three a lot you know, talking about causality and, and and the poetic summary of that was when time stops the timeless cause knocked right and and so here we're connecting it back to that that we don't just hear ancient when you hear the word timeless, we also hear it in the present as devoid of all causal inference and being the cause of it all. So our aliveness is indeed the cause of all our inspired work and the lack of it, the cause of thoughtless monstrosities. So our aliveness is critical in this world, critical. If you're not alive, we'll make things that are absolutely hideous. So. So finding our distinctions, the, the mapping, and then the, this book is just one way of finding that. There may be other ways. Once we've found it, if the, the real validity is our aliveness is flowing through it. And how do you represent that aliveness? What is the symbol that honors that aliveness? And I, I truly believe that zero is definitely a great symbol, 
but so is infinity, the other end of it. We, we started with emptying ourselves. Now we want to end it with fullness. So that's the, that's the journey. This is not an abstract conversation. This is the most concrete conversation there is for anyone who's built something truly great and has tried to find a way of explaining to others how they did it or what is it that captures the essence. They will find themselves grappling with these two distinctions, emptiness and fullness. That's why we are now transitioning to infinity. And remember that you don't need this. If you don't want to ever build anything, then yeah, just <laughs> sit in a dark cave and find out who you are. But this book is for those people who want to stay in this messy world, build things, and build things that have meaning in them. Mm. Yeah, that's a, yeah, it's so true. It, it's for those who want to, you know, find that meaning. Um, <clears throat> on a uh, two eighty five, you. Um, talk about the philosopher Adi Shankara um, in which uh, it presents a comment, objects to it from another viewpoint, and then demolishes the objection. Uh, I really like this. I'm going to go through it. It says Shankara's comment is the self is unknowable, not determinable by the senses, pratyaksha, or any other means of knowledge. Then Shankara provides an objection to his own comment. The objection is the self is measured or determined by re revelation and earlier by perception and so forth. Finally, Shankara demolishes the objection with his answer. The answer is no, for the self is self-established. Savatas Siddha. Only when the self is a given can we inquire into the validity of our knowledge. Only after knowing the self earlier as this is I can one attempt to secure knowledge about anything related to transient nature? Thus our vocal wisdom tradition declares that which is immediately present is the creative self, the self in all. And I think and it also um, goes, uh, ties in a little bit uh, further down, halfway through the next paragraph on 286. In this book, we have put forth that the creative self can be known through the feeling of joy or wholeness. Only once that feeling is felt, there arises a validity for the distinctions, head, heart, and habit, that connect us to this creative self of ours. Thus it is, thus it is that the narrow, distinct labels we've put forth using the three goddess braid was, are valid because we felt our creative self. You know, it's 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 like this is this is not just you know, work, it's not just about working on yourself. It's not just about helping other people too. But it's also like finding that special uh, sense uh, within yourself that that you have to dig through. You have to you have to do the work that other people have done before or tried to um, answer. Um, you know, you have to go go through philosophers and case studies and all these different things in order to find that answer within yourself. Um, I re I really love the the um, the objection and um, the philosophy that um, Shankara presented um, because it's almost like a objection that someone would do for themselves they're like oh well you know the self is unknowable like i, I you know there, there's no reason to do the work um you know so many other people have tried and come before me and then it's like well no that no 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 that actually if if you go deep into yourself um you know you can find that knowledge and while also using the knowledge of others that have come before you um, sometimes all it takes is a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a, a spark, a certain quote, for example, to unlock something within yourself that you're like, wow, I've never looked at things like that before. And all of a sudden your reality has fundamentally changed. And so it's really like going on that adventure and just becoming a seeker. Um, so I, I really love that, but please, please, uh, uh, talk about it some more though. Yeah, it's interesting you picked up on this. It's it's really interesting that you, you can see there is, uh, you know, he, words matter, right? So he's 
he's object he's sharing the objection that hey and, and this is an objection we could have in this book precisely for the reason you you mentioned that we've gone on this journey to understand the self and so lest we think that we have arrived at understanding you know, measured or determined by revelation we've done all of those things here but is that the self and and so shankara's final answer is no right it's the self is self established and this is a very powerful framing answer that you because you are a given right that's what makes those distinctions on the self valid so what we've found are distinctions but but the self itself you know if you if you if you followed the commentary so far in the book there is undifferentiated reality and we are it so what are we what do we mean by any distinctions at all right and that, that's uh this is a she's a very old debate right we, you could argue saying this this chap here has say is saying three words that captures myself and he's not differentiated reality and he wants us to take it as a self and then nope that's that's not what we're talking about we we know we acknowledge that that is not the self that is these are distinctions but does that mean they're invalid no they're valid and why are they valid because you are valid and because you feel these distinctions as representative of your deepest conditioning you feel this is meaningful and so the validity comes not from other people it comes from your deepest inner core and and here there is no contradiction right that's the beauty of of these uh, this ancient debate that we are jumping into with shankara and it's a it's really interesting right where does this sit where is this coming from that was you know when this when i realized this this hit me like you know a thunderbolt this is this is coming out from a philosophical system called sankhya and sankhya you know if if indians are listening to this then you know just think about what does that word mean sankhya means counting literally counting and sankhya philosophy is basically the philosophy of counting and it was created to to express the idea of infinity how remarkable is that and by the way this is the oldest philosophical system in india everything else came after this one so this is what our ancients were grappling with that hey we are infinite and so we engage with that infinity and this is that conversation our mathematics comes from that both zero and infinity comes from our deepest thoughts of who we truly are yeah it sums it up uh uh very well uh on 287 halfway through when it says in their own unique way every world tradition is inviting us in with their narrow distinctions and with the purpose of transcending those distinctions and entering into the land of zero and infinity it's good stuff yeah it, it, yeah isn't it interesting the biblical quote of that page i am that i am right exactly yeah it, it it says i am that i am is a common english translation of the hebrew phrase um i i, I won't embarrass myself by trying to uh say the hebrew here um but it says i am who i am i will become what i choose to become i am what i am or i will be what i will be or even i create whatever i create love that so in the next in the next section you talk about mapping world traditions. Uh and this is very interesting. Um you say on 289, I wonder how the 10 commandments look from a values perspective to a Jew and how that's different for a Christian. Also what are the values behind the five pillars of Islam? And you even go even further and get a atheistic uh perspective. And this was fascinating to me um as someone who grew up a uh, very fundamental christian very strict uh very um like the bible was literal is how i personally grew up and now throughout life i am coming from a more agnostic point of view i already was very curious to see the harmony that can be found between these different perspectives and so when you started getting into um the the 10 you started uh going into like the 10 commandments 
um, and uh, from like a Jewish perspective, uh, or for uh, the rabbi's perspective, things like that. Um, I started to see a little bit of a common thread in which it seemed like one thing that, like, even though um, people really wanted, like, okay, make sure that uh, uh, God is, is uh, like, there's a relationship with God, make sure that there's a high value placed upon God. Um, you know, God is the, 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 I guess this, you know, what you should be looking to. Um, I also noticed that there still was a harmony um, between all of the different religions, um, basically talking about like a lot of reflection. There was a lot of, um, of kind of like meditation on the self. Like it didn't matter what religion you were, you still had to do a lot of reflection on the self. How do you essentially become a better person? How do you, uh, basically go on, um, what are your values? What are, um, the things that you should be following to make sure you're following. Basically there's a harmony there. Um, and so I would love to hear from you, uh, your perspective on the things that you found between uh, these different uh, religions and uh, world traditions. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a beautiful observation, Julius, because every tradition on the surface looks so completely different. Right. And, and if somebody says, oh, I'm a Christian, oh, I'm a Muslim, and we think we've figured them out when they say that. And in India, what we've already, what the Indian tradition has taught me is every human being creates their own religion, their own access point. And, and that's what these mappings show that you you really can't tell how a person is accessing their religion. And if someone's done deep work, you will find that depth when you explore. And, and the, the mapping process and the technique allowed me to get a glimpse of that, that, oh my God, this is so deep. They are just using the religious principles as some kind of a structure, but they're not limited by it. In fact, they're transcending the structure and they're connecting to the deepest parts of who they are, right? I, I really like, for instance, the rabbi saying that, you know, you, you, you could take, take the, that commandment that don't worship false gods as, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it, it's one that creates a lot of tension, for instance, with other religions where you have, you have for instance, Eastern religions, you will have um, many gods with a lowercase g. And, and this one's saying, those are all false. Is that, is that, that's one way to interpret it. But here the rabbi is interpreting false gods as things like money and power, that these are false gods. Don't, don't give your worship to these things. And, and suddenly what was a very specific narrow way of interpreting it has become wide, expansive, and uh, something anybody outside the tradition can appreciate that, yeah, oh yeah, those, how tricky ones, right? Money and power, they, they trip everyone up, no matter where you are. And and I don't think anyone has any issue. I, I don't have any issue thinking of them as false gods if you, if you were to use that language. So, so that universal is coming out of the particular, peeping out of the particular, and that's beautiful. And you see the same thing with um, the Christian perspective, right, and and the the reverence perspective, and these are people who spend a lifetime of introspection. So, so seeing how they frame it, and and this idea, like this, the reverence story was community was very important to her, and uh, so was the the self introspection space. So the self introspection, when you say relationship to God, it was really that deep connection, that introspective feeling of reality is how I, I felt it or received it. And the relationship to others is not alone. You know, now, nowadays we realize how important it is to, um, you know, it's, it's a part of your mental health. When, you, when you're in community, people do much better, right? And it's, it, it's because of the love we have to share with each other. And so, similarly with my, uh, the, the Islamic story, that living with presence, that's, you know, and you look at this as like, you know, this looks very similar to 
a lot of the things uh, the Hindus and the Buddhists talk about. So it, it's, and, and of course, the, the entry point into it is so completely different, right? It's so culturally rooted that you may not have access to those entry points. But if you see what people are doing with those entry points and where they're reaching, we find, and this is not my conclusion, this is an ancient conclusion, that we find whatever you're worshiping ultimately, if you really go to the depth, there's a lot of unity in that final reaching point. There, there's unity in diversity, as, as uh, I think uh, the philosopher Vivekananda pointed out you know, over a hundred and you know, some odd years back. So, so that's that's what you're really seeing here, and and, and I think the the humorous thing in here is the rabbi asked me to go check out an atheist environmentalist position, and so I've you know I also consider myself uh, a quote unquote rationalist. So I, I was on the campus, uh, the the forum for atheist humanists and agnostics and reached out and said, hey, who, who considers themselves an atheist environmentalist? And I'd like to talk to them. And and that was the, the mapping that resulted. It was so inspiring, right? Somebody who doesn't need a God belief and yet has this really critical view on not causing harm to anyone who's going, going to suffer. And, and by the way, if you, if you see many of the world traditions, that's where they they point to. You know, that, that's a good practice to have in life. So, so you see this wherever people have given some thought, if they had a religion of, you know, in their society, in their culture, you will find that they have customized it in a way that works for them. And it's really their unique religion. That's how we should really look at it. And if they didn't have one, well, whatever they've done now, they've created it. <laughs> you can emulate it or not, or, or enjoy whatever you have, but every human being has something that they have made, which is a reflection of who they are. Yeah, I, I love this because there's so much to unpack in a way. I, I was going to uh, bring up the examples of the false gods with the rabbi. Um, yeah, it's so good because as someone who's coming from an agnostic point of view, when they're talking about false gods being power or or money and i'm like yeah that yeah i can see that i can see how that can like i agree i agree with you um and then even when it it, it talks about even from the atheistic perspective or was, was talking about not causing harm i was like someone that is a christian for example could look at that as you know treat others as you want to be treated kind of like that golden rule mm. um mm. so so it's still I think what it really comes down to is getting rid of those narrow agendas, getting rid of like this narrow tunnel vision that, you know, we, we all have in different aspects of our lives, getting rid of that in order to look at what can we glean from others. Um, when I was going through this section, I was reminded of the many anti-hero uh, stories that were throughout this book. And how it was like, okay, I find myself, you know, say going back to the Batosa, I find myself, I'm a swordsman. Um, okay, I'm a swordsman. How do I still do my job, but also not, you know, kill people or, or cause as little harm as possible? And I feel like there's something to even glean from that, why the anti-hero stuff is so good, because... It's like if someone is a Christian and looking at an atheist or someone is Muslim and looking at a Jew, um, it's like there might, for some people, there might be this, this narrow instinct to be like, well, that is not my religion or that is not my faith. That is not my philosophy. So therefore there's nothing to be gained from it. But if you take off, if you, you know, find kind of like the anti-hero sort of lens that we were talking about earlier. It's like, okay, well, you know, you're pointing your sword toward them with the blade facing out, but what would happen if you turned it the other way and you, you came at it with the blunt side, like what, what else could come out of the conversation if you don't essentially go in with the intent to kill with your words, <laughs> so, mm, wow. you know? 
what can yeah. come out of it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so that, so that, that section was very, very, uh, I, I loved it. I, I, I really did. Um, on, uh, 301, uh, you talked about, um, the, the, I think it was the eighth. Yeah. It was the atheist said that the young, this young man left with a little more respect for a Jewish valuation of the 10 commandments and this respect respect arose because he valued truth himself. Second, just because he directly opposed some of the commandments does not make his path to wholeness any less worthy of respect. It is just different. And I feel like you can take that last line and basically apply it to each of uh, the religions here. Yeah, and then um, in the book, uh, it gets into yoga traditions um, that ha- that is... Uh, very interesting. I think everyone should read that. Um, although it has a similar uh, vibe to the religions that we were just talking about, it still comes from a different perspective. And so, and it also has the mapping, um, just like with the religions. So that was very fascinating. Um, and then <laughs> we get into uh, your mapping, actually. Um, so I would love for you to talk about that a little bit before we get into the warrior gardener. Cause I found that, I find that interesting. Like whenever someone's talking about like, Oh, I'm this type in psychology or I'm blah, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I'd like to, I like to hear from them, uh, what their perspective is. <laughs> so I would love for you to talk about your mapping. Yeah. It, this is one of those hard things to do, right? I, I thought it'd be good to end the book, as, as they say, physician, heal thyself. When, you, when are you going to apply your work to your own life? And it would be intellectually dishonest of me if I'm here giving examples of all the people who put their trust in me, but I won't share um, what comes up when you apply it to my own life. And, and the fascinating thing is one of the folks in, in, in the course of this book, Mary, actually did the thing. Uh, you know, I had already mapped myself, but she came up with very similar distinctions. So it's you know, th- this mapping of, of the heart of spirit breaking through constructs. I find it thrilling. You know, it's, it's like it's an impossibility. Constructs are supposed to be limiting us. And here we are dancing out with aliveness. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of interesting if you just looked at it as such the uh, the aliveness story aliveness is a universal thing and anybody who has any heart value expressed it's some form of aliveness but it, it's really what what's really interesting is the specific form of aliveness that that gets you going that that you know unlocks you and for me the the word construct is very important because i deal with constructs all the time as a decision analyst we're building distinctions we are the ones who separate as a profession we separate reality all the time and for for me it's particularly meaningful when you're doing that in a way that honors the spirit right it takes work to do that it's not something that you do automatically and and that's the definition of the heart you got to get a lot of work in there the thoughtfulness in there to be able to come close to it so when when you're able to reach that it's it's really really meaningful but it takes work and the habit one is going counterculture i remember there's something in me that just rebels i don't know i don't quite know how and the best way what this mapping allows me to do is to just um come to some form of peace with it that yeah okay that's that's my conditioning for whatever reason um if, if everybody's agreeing or if everything is going in one direction, I got to go in the other one. And it's, uh, it's my, my mom would point it out, why do you always go in the opposite direction or the other place? Well, I don't know, that's how I'm wired, right? And the best I can do is put that in service of others. Like put that in, 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 in the action, in, in, in things. Uh, and usually like, you know, I, I remember when I was in school in, in, in India, this is high school, I'd be in, in, in these bus rides where I'd see one set of seats reserved for women. And, uh, and sometimes people would be, would be taking, you know, and, and so the other end of the, uh, the, the other 
set of seats would you know men would automatically assume that's where that's reserved for men which is not the case and and sometimes i would give up my seat for both women and for elders and i remember as a, as a kid like there'd be there'd be other kids in the in the school bus with me and they'd be very uncomfortable because it's not something that anybody did uh, and and if i got up then they'd be sitting next to a stranger so they'd also get up so two people would get a seat and and so and that experience stood out for me because i would i would feel intensely uncomfortable that here was an older person or uh, uh, you know an, an older lady who i felt should sit and and here's my seat and i didn't want to call attention to myself it was very uncomfortable but at the same time if i didn't get up it would be even more uncomfortable <laughs> and, and 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 the funny part is i'd get up and and then some somehow some aggressive man would come and try to take the seat and then i would have to fight with that person saying what are you doing and I complained to the conductor, like, what kind of behavior is this? And this is me as a kid, okay? And, and everybody else has grown up around us. So, so I, you know, that, that, that wiring is there. That some kind of a fighter, I don't quite know what. And the, the hope I have is to temper that. Like, I, I can't snuff it out, and I shouldn't. But I, I would like to, to, to deploy it in, in, in service of others in, in some way that's meaningful. And so this book is some kind of a fight, right? I hope it's not been a disagreeable fight, but it's fighting against uh, uniformity. This book is a, is a rebellion. There's no you matter. And no matter what everybody tells you to conform, I would like to see people rebel, right? Our, our world moves forward when people rebel. And so if, if this book can be seen as a rebellion and inspires everybody to rebel in their own way, in a way that they don't crash and burn, right? Like, you, you know, people can do horrible things with rebellions. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about deploying your rebellion in service of your heart. And so that's, that's sort of the pattern I think everybody has, but, but they have it in their own unique way. And that's what makes it beautiful. That even though we're so different, there's certain patterns in here that are so enjoyable that even in you know whatever profession you didn't think you'd find it there, but there if you look hard enough, there it is. There are rebels everywhere, and so this book is for those rebels, you know. <laughs> I love that. I, I definitely felt the spirit of that um, <laughs> within this book. <clears throat> On three hundred seven, you say, "If I had to name the spirit of this book, it would be the warrior gardener." Warrior, because we are not going to leave the messiness of life and hide in a cave to remain pure. Instead, covered in mud, we will make yet another stand for the values that move us, like Batosai, who turned the blade of his sword inward so that his blows would not take life. Gardener, because we recognize the interconnectedness of life and our role in it, that we can only plant seeds, tend to the soil, and do the best to create a context for life to emerge. Great outcomes are out of our control and our investment will be in great decisions. Together, the gardener who is a master at surrender and the warrior who is, at a, who is a master at perseverance take us toward wholeness. I, I love it. That's a great, great, great summary right there. Um, and so we are coming to the end um, of this book. I am going to, I know you leave uh, the reader with two gifts, which is the invaluable poem and then the book of aphorisms. I'm going to read the poem in full because I think that is a wonderful cap. However, before I get into that, um, I do have a, a little bit of a personal um, take on everything that we have discussed. Um, bef but before um, I get into that, I, I would love for if you have any um, parting words or anything to say about it. Uh, about the book or or um, our conversations or anything of that nature. No, I think this has been quite a quite a lovely conversation, right? Going deep into each chapter, this book it's it's taken me twelve years to write this, and as I mentioned in the preface, it's I think this is the fifth version of it, and and 
each time you, you hate it so much, like, oh my God, I wrote it and nobody likes it or, or doesn't want to do anything with it. And then invariably I read it, read different parts of it. And then I realize, no, this is really good stuff. <laughs> I should do something with it. And it, it seems to help people. So people will come and want to be mapped and then go back saying it meant something to them. And so finally I felt, okay, if, you know, if, if I'm feeling this over and over again, over many years, there is something in here and it's not about me, right? It's, it's the work, it's the philosophy. This philosophy is timeless. It just so happens that I somehow, you know, stumbled onto it you know, in, in my own stupor and, and found something amazing. And before I go back to sleep, uh, this, should, this should get a little push. So that's been my humble effort. Well, I think I think that's beautiful. Um, it, you know, because it, that ties into the book as well um, about um, you know something resonating within you that's like keep on going, you know, and you, you go with it, and all of a sudden you find that other people are resonating it with it as well. For my personal take on everything that we have discussed, I've personally loved uh, the the conversations. Um, I, I like to talk about religion and philosophy and politics and all that. And, and this book hits on all those things. Um, but on a more personal note, um, there's two things. Number one, uh, I personally started making changes in my own life, especially when it comes to my work, uh, based on the things that I've been learning from this book. So I, I feel like that is a profound uh testament testament to uh the things that this book can do if you do the work yourself um i know that i on in the background i'm building this brand and it's a brand that i'm not advertising you know very much because it's still in its infancy but i started uh changing things <laughs> around significantly um looking for that aliveness that joy that things that are resonating within me and one of the funny enough one of the things that really pushed me to do that. Um, <laughs> this is kind of like a behind the scenes look of sorts, but uh, so when we were doing one of the episodes of this podcast, there was a story where I talked to Somic and I was like, you know, I, I didn't really get anything from this story. I don't remember the name of the person, but it was, it was the one where um, he, he was being mapped. He was trying to decide what to do with his company, whether it was going to be merged or whether it was going to, he was going to sell it or, or, or just keep going. And it was a story in which he crashed and burned <laughs> and it ended horribly. And behind the scenes, this wasn't recorded in that episode, but I was like, I'm not really feeling anything with this story. Basically, do you want to skip it? And something <laughs> pushed and was like, if, if nothing resonated with you, then there's probably some juice there to be squeezed. There's probably something there that that we should probably get into and i'm like really and funny enough <laughs> out of everything that we've gone through in this book all the hours that we put in with this uh that was the one story that stuck with me because even though he crashed and burned he kept the napkin of his mapping and he keeps and and that person uses that napkin to make all these decisions in his life and so the story of that napkin is almost like my napkin <laughs> because, <laughs> because now what I look at, I look at all the different divisions in the brand that I'm creating, or I'm looking at different things in my work and I'm like, huh, is this resonating with me? Is this giving me that, that feeling of aliveness and joy? And I've cut some divisions and some plans because of it. I'm like, you know what? No, I'm only doing this because this is what others might expect or want, or th this does not resonate with me. And I feel like other people are going to feel that as well. So I just wanted to say that. Uh, <laughs> so that's awesome. No, that's awesome. That is the story of Chris, I think in chapter seven, perhaps. But that, yeah, that, yeah, I remember that conversation. I, I'm so glad you brought that out. And that means a lot to me. <laughs> and and the and the last point before I get into the poem is uh as a rule uh when I'm working with people I usually don't leave a review for their book because 
everyone asks me for a review because it's almost like a free review. Like, Oh, we're working together. Like review my book. And so as a rule, I I say like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to leave a review because it's going to like dilute my voice. I don't want to just hand out reviews to every single person that I work with and stuff like that. However, I want to say, and this is almost like, uh, again, another big Testament to this book. And Somic did not ask me for this. I'm going to leave a review for this book. So, because it had a very profound effect on me and I plan on reading this book. Um, there, there is a, a short list of books that I read annually to kind of remind me of uh, where I'm going on my journey. And like one of, one of the books that I read is Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. I read it every year, once a year, uh, just to help guide me. Like, where am I on my path? Am I finding my river? <laughs> uh, and um this is going to be one of those books and I'm going to leave a review again. The author did something did not ask me to do this, but I think that is a huge Testament um, to how great this book is, how much I've enjoyed the conversation and everybody should go out and buy this book and start that journey, start that work. Um, So thank, thank you for the conversation and thank you for, for even taking those 12 years to write this. Thank you, Julius. That 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 means so much to me. Thank you so much. You know, you know, even if you didn't write the review, the 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 way you showed up in these conversations, I feel like the I I feel like the content of this book has been honored in in this dialogue with you, and and that's that's just invaluable. The sentiment that you're just expressing. Thank you. Oh, uh, you're most welcome. And um, yeah. So even if yeah, so <laughs> that's that's how I feel. It was, it was great. It was great. Um, so with that being said, we are wrapping up this book and chapter nine, The Infinity. We are going to end with the invaluable uh, poem in full. <clears throat> it goes. They said emptiness and fullness were opposite ends of the spectrum. Meanwhile, emptiness found itself full and fullness found itself empty. Service was hard work, they said. Enjoy the result. Meanwhile, hard work showed up as joy, and service was the result. Time is the cause of all things, they said. But in that moment, when it stopped the other day, the timeless cause knocked. Counting will break connection to spirit, they warned. Imagine the surprise when spirit instead broke through counting. Look, they said, at the narrow river of love that humans are, They didn't see that the narrow river connected to the ocean and turned humans into gods. Look, they said, at your stubborn habit that refuses to die. Little did they know that this was your superpower waiting for context. Look, they said, you gotta get out of your head. Little did they know that your head was the sanctuary for your heart and your superpower. They said, learn strategy to come out ahead. Strangely, when the self was found, strategy came out true. They said, don't let your feelings confuse you. Little did they realize that confusion arose when you could not feel. What makes distinctions a valid representation of I, they asked. Little did they fathom that I am the source of validity. What is invaluable, you ask? I say, achieving clarity on value.